Of course, of course. Good morning, Grace family. A lot of really good insights there regarding fellowship. If you ask, what is fellowship? Most Christians can give you a really good answer. The problem is, we love the idea of fellowship more than we actually experience the reality of it like God intends. I found that to be true. For one reason or another, the love, the closeness, the unity in the body of Christ eludes a lot of people. And as a result, you find that people are hurting, they are wounded, they are sometimes angry, sometimes resentful, sometimes disillusioned as a result of being involved in the church. So we desperately need what God has for us today in his word. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are continuing our journey through Acts. The story of Christ's work continues. And we are focusing this month in our exposition on Acts on what the first church did. What they actually did. The four passions of a church devoted to Christ. The apostles' teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So we are in the first church, part two. And what I hope you grasp today is what fellowship is and what builds it and what breaks it. We're going to see that a church devoted to Christ is passionate about caring community. That a church devoted to Christ is passionate about caring community community. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to 47. This is God's word. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, that your word is completely true and that you want to use it in our lives now to change us by your spirit, to do, to be the people you want us to be, do the things you want us to do. Lord, we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So verse 41 tells us that those who received the word of the gospel were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000. 
So those who believe the message of the grace of God in Christ, those who received the, the gospel truth that Jesus died for sins on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead on the third day, and that he is coming again for all who believe. They believed that and showed their faith in Christ and their repentance by being baptized. Second hour today, we had baptisms, and three people gave testimony of their faith in Christ. So that's what happened in the early church, and there was about 3,000 souls. So 3,120 at this point are gathered together. And verses 42 to 47 give a summary of the life of this new community, the community life in the first church. Verse 42 tells us they devoted themselves. To devote yourself to something means you commit yourself to it wholeheartedly, that you Fully pour all your energy and all your focus into that thing. I mentioned last week that whatever you think about all the time, that is the object of your devotion. It means to attend to something constantly and then be ready to do something about it. When you're devoted to something, you act upon the devotion you have. And the Greek word, proskartario, is, is in the New Testament being used of being attending constantly, devoting yourself fully. And, and it's used in the New Testament of personal attendance and of a boat being ready for Jesus to take him to the other side of the lake. And when you think about it, when you commit yourself to something, you are at its disposal. You're literally at its disposal. You basically serve the purposes of whatever you are devoted to. That's why you only want to be devoted to good things. They were devoted to Jesus. In the first church, Jesus came first. Colossians 1.18, that he must come to have first place in everything, was true about the first church. He was preeminent in their hearts, in their lives, in a common life together. Now, verse 42 gives us the four passions of a church devoted to Christ. Last week, we saw that a church devoted to Christ is passionate about the word of God. That's what was true in the early church. The church was shaped by the apostles' teaching. They heard and obeyed God's authoritative word. They considered it binding upon their lives. They wanted to learn all they could about Jesus, and they wanted to obey him. And the results of the church being devoted to Christ and the word were very evident. They were equipped with right thinking about God and about themselves and about other people. And so the members of the church were used for God's good purposes. It leads us to the second passion of a church devoted to Christ, fellowship. Fellowship. And we asked this question to a lot of people this week, what is Christian fellowship? What we want to look at today is some basics of Christian fellowship, and then some builders of Christian fellowship, and some breakers of Christian fellowship. So what is it? What builds it? What breaks it? What helps it? What hinders it? So let's first look at some, some basics, some foundational ideas about Christian fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and koinonia means to have something in common. It means to participate in something, to share in common. It means literally to, 
to have something in common and participate and share to the extent that then you give as a result. Koinonia is found 19 times in the New Testament. It speaks of the fellowship. The fellowship. Philippians 2 verse 1 speaks of the fellowship of the Spirit, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3.10 speaks of the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Fellowship of sufferings. Philemon 1.6, it speaks of the fellowship of your faith. Koinonia is also translated by some different words in the New Testament that are notable. Contribution, participation, and sharing. Romans 15.26, Paul says that they were pleased to make a contribution, a fellowship, a koinonia, for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 9.13, he is commending them for the generosity of their contribution to the church, their fellowship, their participation in the church. Koinonia. 2 Corinthians 8.4, Paul says that there were some people that were begging, literally urging, that they would have the favor to participate in the support of the saints, to, to fellowship in the support of the saints. Philippians 1.5 says, in view of your participation in the gospel, your fellowship in the gospel, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. 1 Corinthians 10.16, speaking of the Lord's table, which we will celebrate next week, says that when you partake of the cup, when you partake of the bread, you are sharing in the body and the blood of Christ. You are participating. You are, you are having in common the remembrance of what Christ did. So that's what we're talking about here. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect doing good and sharing, koinonia, fellowship. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. It's always good to know that you're doing something that pleases God. Now, I want to point you to 1 Corinthians 1, 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful. So there's a, a declaration of his character. He is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It goes beyond the idea of just getting together with Christians and enjoying one another's company. It doesn't start there. That is the outflow of fellowship with God. Because fellowship is really having a common share in something bigger than you, something bigger than me, something bigger than us. It is rooted in a common faith in Christ and the fact that we have been put into the family of God. So because you've been called into fellowship with God through faith in Christ, you have the opportunity, the, the privilege, the gift from God to experience fellowship with fellow believers. It doesn't always happen in the experience of every Christian, but it should. You should have fellowship with your family in Christ. So true Christian fellowship involves a common sharing in Christ and a common caring for his church. 1 John 1.3 says that that which we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and then it gives the basis for that fellowship. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the faith in Christ is the foundation. That is the fellowship that we have in the, in the family of God. We experience koinonia with, with God Almighty. 
we draw closer to one another and enjoy koinonia with one another. That's what's supposed to happen. So our common life in Christ, and we'll do a little bit of review on this one. I want to I restate it a few different times, a few different ways. Our common life in Christ's church is expressed in our common sharing in Christ, our faith. Our common caring for his family, that's the one another's. That's the, that's the outflow of the life in Christ. So we are in, united together in Christ, therefore we are united together in community. So it's not something that's just out there like fellowship, just hang out together. It is rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what you see is the nature of true fellowship goes beyond what a lot of people are always seeking, which is to have friends. Now you might say, well, you know, I have enough friends. I've got my quota, you know, I've got a lot of friends. Other people, though, would say, you know, my friends are all moving away, or my friends are all dying, or my friends have, have left me. Everybody wants friends, but, but fellowship is grounded first in the work of the Holy Spirit, binding us together as believers, and then the truth of the gospel being lived out, the outflow of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Then you experience the fact of the fellowship of believers. Okay, I'm going to say it one more way, and then hopefully this makes sense. We are positionally in the same fellowship in Christ with all believers, but we experience ongoing fellowship with those we are in close relationship with. For example, you can land in a foreign country, you know, fly 20 hours to, to another country, and get there and meet a fellow believer and you could instantly have this camaraderie, this fellowship in Christ. It's wonderful. But then you both go your ways. And then you fly home to the local assembly that you are a part of. And that's the place where you're to be known and loved and cared for. And where you are to know and love and care for others. You could put it like this. As you faithfully follow Christ, if you're a believer... Your relationships should reflect the fellowship you have in Christ with all believers. But that will most likely be evidenced and experienced with a relatively small group of people. There will be a relatively smaller group of people which you will be known and cared for. Now, when you join a church, you do not join a club. You're not joining an organization. You are joining a living organism a community, a family that reflects the larger family that you belong to, the body of Christ. So those are the fellowship basics. You are bound together by your faith in Christ. And then because of that, you, you uh, have your family in community. So fellowship is a common share in something greater than ourselves. And true Christian fellowship involves a common sharing in Christ and common caring for his church. That's the basics of fellowship. So let's talk about fellowship builders. This is the experiencing. How can it be fostered? How can it be cultivated? Uh, what encourages true fellowship? Fellowship builders. So I think the biggest, the biggest issue facing us when we think about building fellowship is the sheer magnitude of all the things on our calendars and our schedules. 
A lot of people say, I don't have enough time for fellowship. I, I just, I have too much going on. I'm too busy. That might be you. But I'm guessing that deep down inside, if you're a believer, you yearn for close connection with people, even if you haven't been able to make those close connections. So that's why people feel disconnected. That's why they feel uncared for, unloved. And also because many Christians see going to church as a one-time-a-week occurrence where you check in, eat a few donuts, drink some coffee, make your appearance, say hello to a few people, leave, and press, press pray, uh, play for Monday, right? You're just waiting for Monday. And I, hey, I did that, check. So what steps can we take that will deepen and foster the relationships that need to be developed so that we would experience more true fellowship amongst other believers. That's, that's the idea behind what we're going to talk about regarding fellowship builders. Okay, Verse 43, you need to see this. Uh, awe came upon every soul. We read this. Awe came upon every soul as a result of what was going on on the day of Pentecost. Now, it would be easy to say, of course, awe came upon all the 3,120 of them. But actually, this is pointing to everyone who saw and heard. So even the unbelievers that were observing were amazed that was going on. Even if they couldn't put their finger on what exactly was going on, they were blown away by it. Then verse 44, all who believed were together. There's this togetherness. Yeah, you look at the video we did, and it's like togetherness, being with other believers, absolutely. But it's one thing to get together. It's another that when you get together, doing the certain things that play into true fellowship being developed. So let's see what their, their involvement was as they got together. What, what's the first thing we see? That they were unified. That there was unity. They had all things in common. They were all together, verse 44. Now, don't mistake this into thinking that they somehow moved into a commune together, that they were in some kind of communal living arrangement, like, hey, you're a Christian, you know, you're going to be in room, you know, 2B now for the rest of your life. You know, you got to move on to the ranch, you know, get rid of all your stuff and go on to this compound that we have. That's not the idea. The idea is that they had a strong sense of community. That's what we should have. That's what we should have. They confessed a common Lord, the Lord Jesus. They spent a lot of time together. They shared with one another, shared the stuff they had. And they participated in a common vision and purpose. You know what it was? They wanted to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel. They, they, they took Grace Church of Orange's statement. They wanted to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel. That was what they were all about. And so they had everything in common and you could say, look, Acts 2 is a very unique situation. Granted, 3,120 brand new believers, 3,120 bundles of joy, and 3,120 accidents waiting to happen. And did they happen? You know, you get into uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, you see some things going on that really tested their fellowship. They stuck together. Last week, we gave out these refrigerator magnets that have Acts 242 on them. And I told you, I said, go stick this to your fridge. 
Now, your fridge needs to be receptive. They need to receive the magnet. Now, some of you are like, well, but we have the stainless steel kind. Well, it's not going to do it. Now, I have a stainless steel looking fridge. It's stuck to mine. You might have to tape yours to yours. You might have to force your fridge to take it. But God wants there to be receptivity. Now, for example, I said this last week. If you want the word of God to stick in your life, you need to stick to the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 31. My soul clings to your testimonies, O Lord. But the same is true of fellowship. If you want fellowship to stick in your life, if you want to experience fellowship with other believers as God intends, you got to stick to it. you got to be unified. You've got to hang in there together. you got to stick together with other believers. You look at verse 44, and it says they had everything in common. And verse 45 says they were selling their belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. So they were very generous. That's the second thing. They were unified, but they were also generous. There was generosity that could be characterized their fellowship. Now, that doesn't mean that as soon as they became believers, they said, okay, give us all your stuff. Like, you know, today after church, we're going to have a collection of all your stuff if you're a believer. Okay, if you're a brand new believer, turn it all in. Okay, N didn't happen. Also, they didn't have this big garage sale like, hey, we, we need to sell everything so, because we just became believers. We need to sell everything and give it to the church. Yeah, and hey, can you please give me more because I want the church to really do well? That's not what happened. So some, some assume that means they sold everything they owned when they joined the church. Not true, but that was the practice of the Qumran community at the Dead Sea. It was not the case, though, for the first church. For these first believers. What it means is they were committed to Christ and the work of the Spirit in their lives, and it produced a completely different attitude towards their possessions. A changed, a transformed attitude towards what they owned. It says they were selling their, their, their property, their belongings, and distributing the proceeds, and here's the clarifier, as any had need. You see later that they were meeting in their homes. So obviously the more wealthy among them had homes in which to meet. They didn't go and sell. So they're distributing and they're selling. Now the imperfect tense of selling here implies there was not a big sale of goods, but they voluntarily sold portions of what they owned as the needs arose. So as a need arose, someone would sell some stuff to meet that need. It happens today in the church. People do this. A lot of times people have money in the bank. They'll give money or they'll give them a fridge or they'll give them a, a cow if they need a cow. Whatever that you need, oftentimes the body of Christ should and can and will help you. They just need to know about the need. There was generosity going on. I remember being on a missions trip in Irian Jaya, Indonesia. And I went to this tribe that used to be cannibals. And I was their, their honored guest at a pig feast. Turns out if I had been there 30 years earlier, I might have been the main dish. But I was the honored guest at this pig feast. They slaughtered this pig, and they, here's what they did. They literally laid it in front of me. We're on this big grass field. Hundreds of people are out there, and they lay the whole pig in front of me. I'm looking at my missionary friend saying, am I supposed to eat this whole thing? I'm like Rodney Allen Rippey. It's too big to eat. Right? I can't do it. He says, no, no. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to serve it to everyone else. 
it was a beautiful uh, moment. I had a pocket knife with me, and I started cutting off, you know, pork loin and stuff and just handing it out to everybody. And it was because that's, that's what they did. They, they shared generously. I remember my friend Pablo Flores. He was a church planter in Mexico, and we planted a church in Rosarito with him in the mid-'90s, and we would go to his church uh, multiple times a year. And a lot of people at our church would give stuff to him. They'd give him cars and, and chandeliers and clothes and what have you. And when, you, when we would go there, sometimes you, if you gave him something, you'd think, where'd the car go or where'd the fridge go or where'd the chandelier go? Because it wasn't there in his house. And the reason why is because he would give it away. He would give it away to other people in greater need than him. My question for you today is, are you willing to part with anything to help anyone in the body of Christ? Let's even narrow it down. Are you willing to part with anything to help anyone at Grace Church of Orange? Now, instantly, some of you are like, certain people, but I've got a list of those that wouldn't get my help for one reason or another. But I will say this, Grace Church of Orange amazes me because you're so generous. It's, whether it's to missions, whether it's to the Go With Grace Fund, whether it's to the Caring Fund, do you know that we collect money on an ongoing basis to meet needs when people have needs when they fall short, paying bills and other things, and it always gets stocked up and then we meet needs. Needs arise and we meet them. But most importantly, is what happens outside the fund when people in the body find out a need and they just go meet it. And it's happening all over the place. And the reason you don't know about it is because it's between the person who met the need and the person who had the need. And those things you know, don't get broadcast. But that's, that's an example of fellowship, the generosity that people have because they have a different view now of their possessions. They were also inclusive. Did you notice that it said that as any had need? Not just the good-looking ones, not just the popular ones, not just the ones that have helped others in the past. They were, there was an inclusivity about their fellowship. They included people, and nobody was left out. The church in the Bible, in the New Testament, is called the body, the bride, a building, and other, among other things. And the body motif most clearly shows that every part is necessary. 1 Corinthians 12 says God has arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. He composed the body so that the members would not have divisions, but have the same care one for another. God has orchestrated the body of Christ in such a way that even in the locations in which believers gather... Every church, and I, I believe this about Grace Church with all my heart, that we have everything we need to do everything God wants us to do at every point in time. We're trusting him for what we need next. Ephesians 4, 16 says, From God, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Every part matters. 
Now, sometimes people will tell you that they don't mind being left out. And I say, don't believe them. I knew a junior hire once at the church that I became a believer at, and I had become a pastoral intern. It was my first pastoral assignment, and I was working with the junior hires. And every Wednesday night, they had a junior high dinner just for the junior hires. And this guy would sit alone on a table every single Wednesday. And my heart went out to him because I was also left out of some things when I was growing up. And so I really empathized. So I went up and I would eat dinner with him. And I asked him one time, I said, does it bug you? Does it bug you to eat alone like this in a room full of people? And here's what he told me. He said, no, I like it. Now, I thought that was kind of weird. But he grew up, and when he was an adult, we were talking one time, and he said, do you remember how I told you that I liked eating alone the Wednesday night dinner? He says, I lied. He goes, I was dying inside. He goes, I hated it. It's painful being left out. It's joyful being included. I don't want anyone to feel like they're left out if they're a part of Grace Church Orange. I think what we often get wrong about fellowship is that we think it's about who we like and who we choose to bless with our presence. No. It's about who God in his sovereign good pleasure chose to save by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and put in his family. But we are so choosy that we make distinctions based on worldly wisdom. See, friendship is something that is developed due to an affinity, uh, other personality and life situations. But fellowship is nurtured and cultivated in an atmosphere that accepts anyone that God chooses to put in the family. Because you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't get to choose my two sisters, Melanie and Cindy. I just had to, you know, live with them. And they didn't choose me for their brother. I'm sure at that time they would have chose someone else. Today they're glad. But back then I don't think they were. I wasn't the greatest brother in the world. Fellowship fosters friendship where you include people in, in your circle of friends. You know, true fellowship, though, doesn't necessitate friendship, but it should lead to it. You don't have to be friends going in, but you need to be friends going out. See, in the, in the first church, you've got 3,120 people. Do you think they all went around and said, hey, by the way, I've got 3,119 friends in my, you know, first century book? account they were committed to a unified fellowship but it doesn't mean that they were best friends with everyone that doesn't even make sense you don't have the time the bandwidth or 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 anything needed to be friends with everyone who's a part of grace church of orange much less trying to get to know 3119 people but here's the deal they were committed to that fellowship some of them couldn't go home yet. 
So people were paying their way. They're from other countries. People from all over the whole known world had gathered. They couldn't go home yet, so they, they needed to be supported by the church. And the church did it gladly. The church did it generously. And I think that is a huge challenge to us in our westernized, individualistic mentality. It is so different than the way often we operate. There was no distinctions made on who was going to receive the help. It wasn't based on friendship or affinity or the way they looked. I'm guessing that in that first church, there might have been some people with a bad attitude. Maybe Eeyore was in the first church, you know, always looking at the glass half empty. I bet you there were people that were annoying. They had an annoying personality. They bugged people just by talking. I hope I don't do that to you. Sometimes I might. Everyone wants to feel included. Everyone wants to feel like they're a part of things. I know you're here because you want deep fellowship. You don't want to be isolated. You don't want to be disconnected. By the way, there's a lot of new people that come to Grace Church of Orange. I'll give you a little tip. Don't wait till after the service to say hello. See, they're here early. The, the new people come early because they know what time the service starts. <laughs> See, we, uh, by the way, if you're new at Grace, we haven't told anyone what time it starts. It's just like, whatever, you know, whenever you can get in, it's, we're good, you know. Sometimes we say, oh, we're a really friendly church. Sometimes it's hit and miss, right? Sometimes we miss people. They fall through the cracks. I've heard the stories. Nobody talked to me. Now, you know what I do when I go to a new church? I pretend like I've been there 20 years. I'm, you know, greeting everybody. They're like, who is that guy? I haven't seen him in a while. Please don't leave today and say, nobody talked to me, okay? You know what? Just pretend like you've been here for a long time, Okay? Um, no clicks, no huddles, no exclusions. They were inclusive. You know what else they were? They were honest. How do I know they were honest? I don't know because everybody figured out who was in need. Huh? As needs arose, they sold their stuff to meet the needs, which means they were talking about it. You know what happens in needs in our culture? Well, you didn't read my mind. How come you didn't meet my need? You know, I wanted a cheeseburger. How come you didn't get me one? Because you didn't ask for one. So I got you falafels instead. Better than a cheeseburger anyway, right? All the time. One of the one another's in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.11. You shall not steal. You shall not kill falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Honesty is where, where you are honest about where you're at in life without fear of rejection. Now, that needs to happen in smaller groups, okay? You've got to be wise about how you share. But there, are, there is grace and mercy when there is honesty. And, and you need to have integrity. If someone is sharing with you, you need to keep confidential things confidential. Next week, we're going to do a big push on small groups. You know Why? Because small groups are where caring, support, and honesty flourishes, where you are known. If you don't have a group of people, pray like crazy to, to get one and 
ask me or someone else about it. Uh, answer the question when you're asked, do you have one? Do you have a group? Well, if you don't, you need one, some kind of group that you're in. And when you're in the group, ask good questions that no one seems to ask. Like, what are you reading in the Bible? And how are you serving your household? And how are you engaging your household in the word of God? I meet with men from the church all the time, and I ask them, what are you reading in the Bible? How are you serving your family? How are you opening the word with your, with your household? And, and, and are you surviving or thriving in life? And what do you really want in life? And is it God-honoring? And are you taking steps to get there? And if it's not God-honoring, are you repenting? Because unconfessed sin weakens the church and grieves God. Why would it say in James 5.16 that we are to confess our sins one to another and pray for each other so that we'd be healed? Paul said in Romans 1.12 that you may be mutually, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't know any other way to do that but getting face to face. If your involvement at Grace Church of Orange is only looking at me, your life will not be what God wants it to be. You need to look at others in the body of Christ, men getting connected with men, women getting connected with women in solid, supportive mutually encouraging relationships. There's a reason in two weeks why we're having a men's retreat. You know why? Because we want the men to get away for the weekend and relate to one another as men in Christ ought to relate. And that should spill out into the rest of our life when we come back. Men, if you're not going to the men's retreat, you should. You should. You need to. And not, oh, well, I don't like going to those. Cop out cop out. You need to, to love each other deeply because, oh, 1 Peter 4, 8 says love covers a multitude of sins. We ought also to thank God for you always, brothers, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, and rightly so because our, your faith is growing more and more and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. You can't increase the love for one another at a distance. You've got to be connected you got to get close enough to people for them to make a difference in your life and for you to make a difference in theirs. you got to be close enough to care, close enough to be honest. Because a church devoted to Christ is passionate about caring community. Why would it tell us in Hebrews 10.25 to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the day of Christ's return. Caring community. Meeting needs, sharing resources, caring enough to help. That's what all of us want. But there are fellowship breakers in our midst that hinder and threaten and wreck fellowship. If you live by the Spirit of God, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh, which means if you don't live by the Spirit of God, you will carry out the desires of the flesh. But our love for one another ought to be so evident that people identify us as disciples of Christ. That's what Jesus said. Our love makes the compelling case for Jesus and the gospel. But sin gets in the way. And selfishness 
You know, we live in a time where people view Christian fellowship for what they can get more than for what they can give. They, they ruin the idea of fellowship. It is about what you can give, not what you can get. They view the church with a consumer mentality, much like their favorite current restaurant. They go, they're served, they're fed, they pay their bill, and they leave without responsibility until the next time they arrive. There's greed. We'll see in Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira's greed and dishonesty. There's complaining. We'll see in Acts chapter 6, a complaint arose. Dealt with in a very godly manner, by the way. But I think most, most of all, the fellowship breakers have to do with relational friction in the body of Christ. High grade and low grade. Why did Paul have to say in Philippians 4.2, I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. They had to get called out because of disunity. We get our feelings hurt. We don't want to be around certain people. We'll let anger and resentment ruin the fellowship. We've got a grudge. We want to nurse the hurt. My mentor and friend, Lloyd Rinks, once told me, put a period on your heartaches. What you need to do, put a period on your heartaches. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. But it is our nature to make comparisons and distinctions, and even to use abusive speech. It's easy to say we're being honest while we're butchering someone's reputation, judging them unfairly, Logs and specks and all that. And Ephesians 4.29 tells us don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. You ever eat something rotten, but it looked good on the outside? We love to put a thin veneer, a veil, over our hypocrisy and our self-righteousness. How often do you start a sentence like this? I really love them, but... And we think as long as we say we love them, we can say anything else afterwards. Gossip, slander, backbiting, unfairness, lack of graciousness giving little leeway for growth. I guess I would just say, do you, have you gotten to know them? Do you know their backstory? It would be important. I think we should uh, have some fellowship building non-negotiables at Grace Church of Orange. I think first and foremost is this, that we will maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and that we will deal with things biblically so if you have a problem with someone you do what Matthew 18 says and you go to them don't go talk to everyone else or you choose to forbear that's a underserved word in the church of Christ to forbear to let it go to forgive we should believe the best and not assume the worst that we would honor and protect one another by not discussing the shortcomings and sins of anyone behind their back. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. 
And as we bring this to a close, let me just say this. I'll say it again. I know you are here because you deeply desire true fellowship and that you want to be more connected than you already are. I know there's no one sitting here with evil intent to mess up the fellowship. You want to be less selfish. You want to be less isolated. You want to be less fractured. I know you want to be more invested in relationships, more joyfully friending people in the body of Christ. And because of that, I must point you ultimately to the ultimate fellowship. We can talk about basics and builders and breakers, yes, but they, they need the bonder of fellowship, the, the mastermind and architect behind true fellowship. God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at verse 47, and then we'll close. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you see it? The Lord added. It is the power of God that brings fellowship about. It is so easy to think that we can just drum up fellowship with our natural inclinations and our natural giftedness and our, all of our efforts but it's only as we yield to the Spirit of God can true fellowship be built. And the reason why is because sin ruins us. It ruins us. But the gospel of the grace of God in Christ remakes us. Sin shatters our unity and separates us from God and each other. So we are isolated and dislocated and separated and alienated and divorced from God and others. And we know God alone can restore what sin destroys. The gospel changes us. So we want to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel. You want to get a handle on fellowship? Then let this blow your mind. It is absolutely not about who you like and who you want to be around. It is about looking around and saying, Lord, who who did you give me as my brother and sister in this assembly? And you love them. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your brothers, your sisters, and then your brothers and sisters in Christ of all shapes and sizes and personality traits and sin issues. If you think that fellowship has to do with your preferences, you are you're missing the whole point of fellowship. Fellowship is about the gospel bringing together people in the body of Christ who would never get along outside of it. So that when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying that God's, God's will that is done immediately in heaven, we want that to be true here in our local assembly that, we want, that we're saying basically, Lord, make Grace Church of Orange reflect the kingdom in its eternal power and glory and joy. Because Jesus is, is the ultimate fellowshipper. He brings us together in fellowship. He's the giver of it, the sharer of it, of our common life. Jesus prayed for us that we would be one. He has the power to subject all things to himself. May we yield to him. I know that God is calling us today to decide, to resolve, 
to experience fellowship as he meant it and not as we have mangled it. To trust him, to bring about real, deep, unified, generous, honest fellowship that will blow the world away because it just doesn't make human sense. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are bringing about a passionate, caring community amongst your people. And that as we build relationships between people who would otherwise probably have little in common, we enjoy just a glimpse of the heavenly joy we will have with you for eternity. We thank you, Lord God, that you give us unity in the, in the body and that you unite us and that you hold on to us because you hold all things together by the word of your power. And we praise you in Christ's name.